0: Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. Oh, I'm crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so blue.
1: If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are metalworking nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips.
0: Welcome to Making Chips and I'm your only host today. I'm far from home. I'm recording live from East Tech. where. My friend Jason is at home preparing for his move to Tennessee. So all I can think about is Patsy Cline's hit, Crazy. And it may come as a surprise that she actually didn't write that song. Willie Nelson wrote the song. So it got me thinking, where would I be without my partners, my friends, my family, this community and manufacturing? I think we all need people we can share our wins and losses with, our highs and lows. We all need people to tell us when we're being crazy. And so, I'm just going to get right into it today. We're going to introduce three of my best friends in the industry, and we're going to talk about what we do to stay sane and productive as manufacturing leaders. My first guest has an extensive background as a workholding specialist. For nearly two decades, he's been a product and sales leader, helping his customers increase their productivity and decrease their costs. He's the sales manager for Fifth Axis Workholding. Welcome to the
2: show, Eric Nekich. Thank you for having me, Nick. Yeah, what's up? great to be here. East Tech. Woo! Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And in the blue corner,
2: (laughs) his rival,
0: his sworn enemy, who also has a very similar background as a workholding expert. He started his workholding career as an engineering leader with a focus on magnetic workholding. He's moved into various positions in operations and leadership and sales. He is now the VP of sales for tooling and workholding at Shunk. Yep. Welcome to the show, Michael Gantz. Glad to be here. Both of you have been here before, yeah?
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And in my corner, I guess this ring is a triangle. In my corner, this guy is like family to me because he's my actual cousin. (laughs) He has a background in machining when he first started, and then he left and became an automation integrator, a custom automation integrator. I then recruited him back for about three straight years. He's now the head of our workholding and automation division. Welcome to the show, Caleb Mertz.
3: Hey, hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, dude. Good to have you guys here. Yeah. So we all here. agreed. All jokes aside, you guys aren't rivals. We're not going to fight, even though no. we do sometimes compete in the marketplace. Mike's awesome.
2: I like Mike a lot. Yeah. And so. Can I speak for you, Mike? Yeah. He loves you, too. That's great. I love you, too. Eric. Hey, this thank is you, beautiful. Mike. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad uh, I get to witness this amazing moment. You know, we're not in this whole nepotism thing going (laughs) across the other side of
0: the table. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The family is here to referee you two guys and make sure we all get along. But honestly, jokes aside, I think it's awesome. You guys go compete, chunk at Fifth Axis, and you're great friends and support each other. And at the end of the day, we're all just trying to make manufacturing better. Yeah, So so here's what it takes to do that, though. It's like, we're not going to talk about workholding today. We're going to talk about the mindset that you have to have as a young leader. We're all pretty young into our careers. What do you do as a young leader to create an Energy mindset, a mindset that doesn't feel tired, that doesn't feel grouchy, and let's face it, this job will wear you out. You know the travel, constant meetings, Zoom meetings, in-person meetings, everyone's spinning tons of plates. And so, I wanted to ask you, like, let's talk about routine. What are some of the things that you do? Um, we'll start with Eric. Like, what are some of the
2: things that you do in your daily routine that recharges your batteries and keeps you full of productive energy? No, absolutely. You know, I think step one is just understanding that. If your mind isn't right, your work never will be, right? Like every other area of your life is gonna suffer, right? So yeah, totally. routine has been a huge thing for me. A few years ago, I actually hired like a professional coach. Guy's great. His name's Ray Green. Check him out on LinkedIn or anyway. Just like a leadership coach. Yeah, Ray's got Green, a huh? system called repeatable revenue. Okay. So bought into it and he really gets into like vision founder fit and dials in mindset. And Ray introduced me to this like point system that he uses. Okay. And so for me, it's, I feel like, you know, in order to be like performing at a high level, it's mental, spiritual, and physical health, very important. So when I sit down Sunday night and I schedule my priorities, right, I really try to focus on what are the things I'm going to do every day that are going to like, Facilitate a great mindset to perform at a high level all week, and so mental, physical, and spiritual things that are going to yeah. like recharge your batteries instead of draining. Exactly. Them. So it's like getting up every morning and start my day with some scripture, and then read something for my brain. Right now, I'm reading the No Asshole Rule. That book's fantastic.
0: Yeah. And then was it written by Ted Lasso? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> and then cardio, man. Yeah. Like exercise. All my good ideas, like they tend to come to me at mile two, right? And wow. then
0: You actually have it dialed in like that.
2: I do. And so it's really hard, especially like you said, Nick, traveling and family. So it becomes this challenge to kind of cram all this stuff into one day without getting up at two in the morning. And right. Yeah. So all the things I know I need to do in a day to like protect my mindset, I keep a list of them and everything's worth a point. And I think most people in sales and sales leadership are competitive by nature. So when I journal at the end of the night, I look at those mindset markers that I have and I say, okay, I did this, I did that. So it's exercise, diet, spiritual, like meditation on my lunch break. Like I get a point for all those markers I hit. And then I'm always trying to, I think is important, right? Not once in like three years that I've been doing this, have I ever got all my points?
0: Yeah. Like a perfect score for right. the week or whatever.
2: I think the point is, is it's just puts a fun spin on it and sure. it keeps you focused. And so.
0: And you've like spoken to your competitive
2: edge of like, hey, how do I get the top score? Right. Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. And honestly. You've gamified your mindset. I love that.
2: Right. And I can honestly say that now after doing it long enough, like the days where like I missed a lot of the key ones, which is going to be the exercise, right? The diet, like, yeah. so easy to eat. Diets like, out crap the window on the on road. Trips. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it's so fun.
4: It literally is yeah, right.
2: Yeah. But so you can physically feel the difference. Yeah. Like two p.m. rolls around in a crappy mood, and I'm like, all right, well. I know why. Yeah. <laughs> so, Michael, do you have like a sort of routine? Do you have a point scoring system? Because no. Eric's
0: making me feel horrible. No, now. okay. All right.
1: We're, so we're together on that because I'm just like, oh, my God, I have nothing uh, like yeah, that. I don't
0: have a coach. I don't have a point scoring system. Yeah, I'm like okay. writing down notes over here in my notebook.
2: <laughs> He's <laughs> yeah. like, what was his Ray name? Green. Jeff Green. Ray Green. Ray, Ray yes. Green. Yeah. Yeah. Check him out. He's You'll like no, him. I'll have to check
0: that out. But I mean, we all do some things, right? Yeah. Like, there's got to be something where I have in my mind. I'll share it for the end. But like for you, that Sunday night moment that Eric talked about. I always feel that. Okay, weekend's about to be over. I want to wake up tomorrow and be productive. So like, what are you planning to do?
1: And honestly, I think it kind of relates to how I would answer that question too, but I think it's important to play to your strengths. And my strength isn't necessarily that kind of regimented routine. Routine actually really helps me out. That's why I actually really enjoy going into the office. So when I'm not traveling, I like to go into the office because just that routine of going in the office helps me out a lot. Sure. But then what I found is when I'm out doing trade shows or conferences or whatever it is, I think I did kind of have like a, what do you call it? A revelation epiphany moment or type epiphany. That's yes, sure. the word I was looking for. Yeah, That they used to just really wear on me because I think you have to know your own personality. Yeah. And I found that what really helped me was that when I would go to conferences or trade shows when you feel like you have to network or something like that? And yeah. networking to me kind of actually just like it tires me out thinking about it. Sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I found that. As we're at the East Tech Trade Show right now, yeah, right? right? No, I know. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. But that's it, is
3: it is exhausting after a right,
0: while. Right? We yeah. have to end. <laughs> oh my oh, God. Who the heck is this <laughs> guy? Like, this group of I thought we had a <laughs> no a hole rule here. What's good up? To see you buddy. Well, you know we, we've Good to see, to see you. We've Tony. been right. interrupted here. I won't let Making Shoot. Sure sure. <laughs> the other one in
1: CNC. It's good to see you, Tony. We were wondering where in
0: the world you were at. So.
1: Following you around. Next door, <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, man. That's great. So, so we do this segment, Where in the World is Tony Gunn? Because he's traveling all the time. Ah, uh, yeah. And we literally didn't do the segment. He just, he just needs showed some up.
1: horizontal stripes in that suit now. I and then he's totally really yeah, got the wear yeah, For those of you
0: who can't see, he is in a bright red suit. He looks like the male version of Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah.
2: <So>. Absolutely.
1: Okay. <laughs> I don't know where I yeah, was yeah. at. So you were talking about, about playing to your strengths. Oh, yeah, playing to your strengths and being at trade shows. Because yeah, yeah. we're doing ne- these trade shows and yeah. conferences all the time. And I found that if I would get it in my head that you got to go network and you got to go do this, then it would tire me out. But if I just focus on doing it in my way. Yeah. And not worrying about whether or not that's like the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it in my way and when I do that, I realize everything is much more sustainable. I mean, as you're growing as a leader, part of what happens is you're always challenging your comfort zone anyway. Yeah. So you need
0: to be comfortable in the discomfort. Like when your friends make you join a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's becoming a little more and more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. But, no, but I feel you. So your kind of point on Routine might be for some people, and you said it helps you, but you're like, hey, I'm not going to fit in what somebody's box is for what I should be doing. I'm going to like settle into my own strengths. And when it comes to networking, it might not be your favorite thing to do, but you're going to network in the Michael Gaunt's way. And you'll actually be more productive doing it your way.
1: And what's funny is you're going to actually network well that way because what you're going to do is when you're playing to your strengths... For example, I come from a technical background. I like to just sit down and do work. It makes me feel good. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes if I just need to sit down at the booth or sit down somewhere else and crank out some work, I'm feeling good about doing that. Yeah. And then naturally, sometimes you're actually just going to be doing things that then lead you to get connected to other people because you're doing it in your style. And
0: when you're at a trade show, you might just have a short walk to go find that person you're just emailing or something. And
1: then now you're doing something that is fitting of what your
3: strength is. Yeah.
0: What about you, Caleb? I know you've helped me settle into a workout routine. So, I imagine you'll <laughs> talk about that a little bit. But
3: Yeah. I think I'm kind of like a mixture of both these guys, honestly. Like, yeah. I have a routine, like you said, Eric, mental, spiritual, physical is really important. I see myself get depressed if I don't work out for a week yeah. or if I'm not in my Bible for the week. I know it, right? Yeah. It's obvious and I think it's more obvious to others. So, like having those people in your life that call you out I think is important. Yeah. So my wife, Nick. Oh, <laughs> hey, I'm just kidding. How, you Your know, wife, once in a while. Nick. Punctuation right is really yeah. important. Comma, yeah. <laughs> Nick.
0: No, kidding. Wife, comma, Nick. <laughs> yeah. There was a comma in there for everyone. Yeah. I hope
3: my wife doesn't I hear this. I said he's family, but I mean, you just made him <laughs> yeah. even closer. No, it's a weird family. Okay. But no, it's, I think all of that combined is huge. But when it comes to like the work balance, I think it's like thinking of what actually moves the needle. Yeah. And that's really hard for me sometimes. And something that I've been really focusing on is okay, is this actually moving the needle for what my goals are for this week, month, year that drive my position forward in my company and the people I'm around, or does it not? And yeah. like, just really honestly getting rid of things in my life that are like, why am I doing this? Yeah, like, is this in line with my mission as a person, whether it's work or in, in my social life? it's like kind of prioritizing that. And then those things maybe aren't bad things, but maybe I should be delegating it. Or it's like deciding whether that should be something in my day-to-day or someone else's Is or the juice worth the
0: squeeze on that particular Absolutely. thing? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good one. And I think it was a perfect segue to where I was headed with this. So like our own energy is important and like managing that, monitoring that, keeping that in balance and tuned into where it needs to be. But then we lead other people. And so like you have to Okay, how does your own energy influence the rest of your team? And what expectations can you set for other people? So obviously we have to value work-life balance because if it gets out of balance, your work actually suffers. Like if you work too much, your work suffers. And that seems counterintuitive, but it's totally true. But one thing I really struggle with is to figure out like where on the thermostat I can put my expectations for myself and then my expectations for everybody else as it relates to work-life balance. Caleb and I are third gen of a family business. It's closer to us than it would be another person who's finding a career here, but it's not like their legacy necessarily after this. So any tips where like, okay, some founders, some leaders, they expect everyone to work as hard as they do. And then when they don't, there's like, oh, that person's lazy. It's like, no, you work too much or whatever. So do you have any thoughts on that or any tips on that for me? Because this is
2: an area where I need some support. I'll actually pick up right where I think Caleb left off I think step one is scheduling your priorities, not prioritizing your schedule, right? And understanding that if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness and that stuff rolls downhill, right? So if you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off and you're not organized and you don't have a system or a process... That's exactly how your team is going to respond, right? Yeah. And so I think I found out early on that when you get in calendar mode, right? And I do Sunday nights like you, Nick, right? Yeah, yeah. When you get into calendar mode, it's really about understanding your roles in life, right? So I have a role as a father, a husband. I have a role as a sales leader, a salesman, right? And making sure that, like Caleb said, everything that makes it to that calendar is something that impacts one of those roles. And honestly, it takes discipline, right? Yeah. And it takes practice like anything else. But I think when I'm in that right mindset, then you've booked time to take a step back and look at your team. Their needs aren't always going to be technical. I think that's a common trap for sales leaders. Yeah, More technical training, more technical training. Right. Honestly, like when I do one-on-ones, I always start with person, then performance, then process, right? Because when you book that time and you can take a step back, you really can see like what each member of your team actually needs and i find most of the training i'm doing nowadays is actually like sales process training sure
0: it's not about how the vice works necessarily or like the nuances between your vice and shunk's vice right. it's how do you sell how do you engage how do you get that initial appointment even these mindset things we find that things, to be right? totally true too yeah. like most of our sales leaders started as like applications and engineering folks and like the kind of product management background And so then it's like, hey, we got to build training for our sales team and it's 90% technical. Yeah. And like, it's important. Like our guys need to know what they're talking about, but, I hear what you're saying. Maybe that's not actually what's preventing the needle from moving sometimes. And
2: I think it's, you just got to take that step back and make sure you've got that view and you understand what they really need to be successful. Sure.
1: I think that's fundamental to leading the team is you have to have your own calendar, your own activity straight so that you can be structured enough to talk to your team. Because that's actually sometimes the hard thing about leading a team is that you have to be the one who always keeps composure and keeps cool. And honestly, sometimes it does help to vent some frustration to your team members too so that they know because sometimes you can't fix every problem. Yeah. And sometimes they just need to know like, hey, I recognize this problem. It's frustrating to me too. Yeah. And we will fix it. But if you pretend that the problem is not there, that's sometimes even worse, but that's kind of a sidetrack. Like. Well,
0: Caleb was present last Friday when I had like a little bit of a mini snap in one of our mini snaps. Is that a fair word, Caleb? Yeah. But I was like super frustrated about this one can that we had kept kicking. It's was like, guys, this has been an open to do for a long time. Like, I'm getting upset. I called him afterwards because I like he's a guy I connect with. Like, am I doing OK? He's like, no, you probably should have been frustrated. It's OK to show that.
1: I think those kind of conversations are really important too, though, is being open with your team and showing some vulnerability and saying, like, sorry, I'm not sure, like, Sometimes I check myself. I'm like, was I just an asshole there? I'm not yeah. sure if I'm supposed to be able no, to say fine. that.
0: Yeah. Ken, we have a no asshole rule, but you can uh, say
3: yeah. <laughs> it. We <laughs> might beep it out. <laughs> <But>
0: <laughs> there's a lot of like little second, and third graders that listen to the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Running machines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great yeah. reality? Great.
1: But I also too wanted to comment on your question about kind of setting expectations for your team. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it also it changes a little bit depending on what role you're in. And it's funny because I was just traveling with our managing director of our plant in Germany last week. He's been kind of a mentor of mine. And if you look at his work-life balance, it's admittedly skewed very much towards work because he has a very, very high position and it's kind of a necessity and you have to find that right balance for everybody. And I think the important thing is, is what can help you kind of be objective with that with your own team members is when you're setting clear expectations of what the job is that they need to do. I had a conversation with one of my managers about this recently because he was actually trying to solve, he was trying to determine this exact question. He said, hey, should I be mad about this guy? He's just coming in eight to five. He's working eight to five when he's here. But then like, I'll see him sitting in the parking lot, just 7.50, just waiting to eight o'clock. I said, dude, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. is he working good when he's here eight to five don't worry about like reward the people who want to go above and beyond reward it yeah but don't punish the people but who don't make that doing, the new standard because then what's the point of everyone yeah, well, yeah. that's yeah. not the standard it should sure. be rewarded and that's also what makes people special when they're going above and beyond
0: yeah yeah
3: well and i think that's where it's just like it's just classic communication right between you and your team like your peers and then also those under you or above you because it's like if you know what your expectation for yourself might be to achieve a certain level or be somewhere in your position. But for that person, it might not be like they're really happy with whether they're at and what they're currently working on and what they're doing. And I say, I think that's really important because I mean, it's it's based on everyone's Yeah, not everyone needs to like
0: climb, 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 climb. Like sometimes they're like, I'm at the level that I need to be at and like promoting them to the president of the company adds a bunch of stress. That's not the life that they want. And the people
1: who want to do that too, what you can do is you can set by example. You made me think about that when you mentioned that. It's like when you're showing the example of how to do that, the people who want to follow can follow.
0: Yeah, yeah, right on.
4: Nick, did you know that ThomasNet has marketing services like SEO and video?
0: You know, I knew they did something with marketing, but I didn't know that. Tell me more.
4: Yeah, you should find more about this. The ThomasNet team includes digital marketers and degreed engineers who understand the complexities of manufacturing. They know the keywords that buyers are searching for, and I know that's important to you.
0: Absolutely, man, because it's so easy to be fake in this industry, and it's really important that people actually know the words that manufacturing leaders use. So
4: visit thomasnet.com today to view their industrial digital marketing services and learn more about the marketing solutions that have helped thousands of manufacturers grow. Awesome, man.
0: One thing I want to go back to that Eric said, if your mind's not right, everything else isn't right. And then... It bleeds, like, how you lead. And then both Eric and Caleb, like, talked about the same routine, you know, like, for me, it's very similar. I try to work out every other day, usually pretty good at it. But if I don't, my own anxiety gets, like, crazy. Same thing, like, if I don't read my Bible. If I don't get that time, my anxiety just gets crazy because I become, like, obsessed with work or obsessed with... Things get out of balance. They get disordered. And... It's like you're trying to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your people. It's like really important not to like separate those two things. You have to like do the things that feed yourself so that you can take care of your people. And sometimes that means you have to change your MO a little bit and recognize like what you need to change, like what lever you need to pull. You know what I mean? So, let's move into change, the mindset for change because in many ways that's our job. We have to create change and I think for some, especially like people who have settled into the status quo for like the way we do things around here, like change brings about a lot of fear and uncertainty. For me, like a lack of change tends to bring about like fear and uncertainty. And I think it's fair to say that there's a balance. Like there has to be a balance. Too much change and there's like chaos everywhere, not enough change and. You're just like not improving because you have to change to improve. So do you have any advice for someone who's leading and managing change or maybe any examples of like where there was just too much change going on and you didn't even get settled into a process or you're trying to deal with people who don't really want to change and they're kind of settled into the status quo? Like anything come to mind right now that you've dealt with in your career or your career?
1: I can give you a quick example. Sure. Uh, Something I just learned recently that I guess the one piece of advice I would give because I just learned this recently was that... Don't underestimate people's reluctance or fear of change. A lot of times as leaders, I think... You mean it's
0: probably bigger than you think? Yeah.
1: Yeah, bigger than you think. A lot of times as leaders too, I think we're more comfortable with change. That's kind of like what we were always pushing for. And we live a little bit more comfortable with change. It's happened to me where I thought that it was something simple that I was talking about. And changes scare people. And you need to really talk through that. There's a lot of different kinds of change, right? If you're trying to influence change for more success to your organization, that's a little bit different than like a bigger change, maybe with, I don't know, whatever it is, you're changing someone's job, or you're sure. something like that. That can be anxiety-inducing. Yeah, and so the only thing that I say is just to be aware that like everyone you may has feel different. It's a small
0: change, but exactly, yeah. everyone
1: has a different spectrum of kind of tolerance to that. So be very conscious of it and sure. talk through it.
2: I think a great thing too is to just set goals and review them regularly and understand firmly. Gates law and what that means. Right. And I mean, I'm assuming everyone at the table, if you don't know, we've
0: talked about it before, yeah. but I really want you to dive into that. Cause we could do a whole episode on that.
2: Oh, give, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Give us the, uh, high level Gates yeah, law is level, basically,
2: yeah. and I'm going to paraphrase, but it's essentially most people overestimate what they will get done in a year, but significantly underestimate what they could get done in five. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I feel that. Like we talked about this Sunday night to do list. I mm-hmm. never get it all done. Yeah. But if I got like, of it done every week. I'm going to be way further than I thought I was going to be five years from now.
2: Exactly. Wow. So setting those goals and holding yourself accountable and then really just, I review mine quarterly at a minimum. It's amazing to me how in just 90 days, they change, right? Well, this quarter, Autonomy is really important to me and next quarter like i'm not so concerned about autonomy as much as i am freedom and you know like it just it fluctuates and that's the beautiful thing about life right okay
1: do you say they underestimate what they do in one week one year year, one yeah so underestimate
2: the year overestimate a week overestimate so most people overestimate what they can get done in a year and completely underestimate what they could get done in five i screwed that up (laughs) in five years or (laughs) five years five years Okay,
0: I think by the end of this year I'm gonna accomplish this, and I've overestimated that, right? But like, I think five years from now I'm gonna accomplish this, and I've underestimated that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. okay. Gotcha.
0: So like, then if you don't hit your yearly goal and you get close in five years, you'll be further than you thought you were gonna be five years ago. Essentially, yeah. Exactly. Okay. I think
2: I'm I taking fixed more notes it. over think, here. So. That's great. I fixed my <laughs> screw up. <laughs> no, don't worry about it, man. It's the good round table.
3: Yeah. And knowing that, I think. Like for me personally, being younger, like helps a lot because in many situations I get major imposter syndrome. And so like recognizing that is really helpful for me and being like, okay, I feel like this is what I can accomplish in the next five years, but actually it's probably going to be a lot greater than that in yeah. whatever capacity that is, whether sure. home life or work life. So I think that's really encouraging and kind of mentally stimulating too, because Nick and I talk about this a lot, that when I'm confident in anything in a conversation whatever it is I'm just automatically so much better even if I'm not actually confident if I feel that confidence I'm so much better and I think that ties into it too yeah
0: you have to like be able to create that confident energy especially in like a sales situation or when I make you be on a podcast with a one hour notice and stuff like that
2: (laughs) yeah not to like Jump in, but I have a quick question for Caleb. If that's okay, Yeah. Please, yeah so please. Do you find like on those days when you haven't like either stuck to your routine, right? Or you missed any of those key components that your imposter syndrome just goes off the charts. Yeah. Skyrockets. See, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: same. he's drilling us. I feel like we should hire Eric
2: as no, a coach. No, 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 no.
1: It makes me think too. I think along the same lines about the competence breeds confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. that idea of preparation. If you feel prepared, you feel like you're ready for it. And 100%. that imposter syndrome also doesn't creep up. Yeah, yeah. But if you kind of just show up ill prepared, you're like, oh God, what am I doing here? Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. That's such a good point. And like, I've seen that. And Caleb and I were at this call for an automation system we were working on. And the guy was like, hey, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. And then that's exactly what he did. He asked him like <laughs> every little nuanced possible question. And like the dude's prepared, you know, he's like, pretty much knew all the answers there was one he's like i think it's this let me get back to you. everything else he knew right away and by the end of it the guy's like yeah i got a customer i want to take you into like i think it's a perfect fit all he was doing was trying to be like do they really know this stuff right yeah and so then i saw the confidence go like through the roof he's like yeah i actually do
1: it's another challenge though too is even just knowing what to be prepared for because a lot of times you're like oh i think i'm prepared sure and then you don't know what you don't know yeah And then you show up and you realize, oh, I should have done this. For example, I remember it was the same managing director I was going on a sales call with. And I showed up there and they asked like, okay, this is probably obvious to someone in sales for a long time. And I should have known this. I show up and I didn't know what open quotes we had with them or what, because I'm national and I'm not the actual
0: regional sales manager. I feel you there. I have that same problem. But I
1: should have known that. I should have prepared. I should have known exactly what we have open with them, what our recent sales were, what our annual sales were, and what kind of business they've done with us. And just because it's not my daily responsibility, I should have known that showing up at the account.
2: Yeah. The importance of... Good discovery. (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) He's got an audio book
0: if anyone wants to purchase it. (laughs) So, okay, we'll talk more specific to what's happening in the industry right now. And this skills gap is like not a buzzword anymore. I don't know that it ever was. It's getting like more and more real. I think all of our companies have a focus on automation and just labor force is so scarce that it actually like impacts our ability to sell things sometimes. I see that. So, First off, like, do you see that? And how has that reality of kind of where we're at with the labor market impacted your business and specifically as it relates to like all the changes you're seeing and adapting to as a business leader?
1: I found that recently trying to keep up. If the question is specific to skills gap, yeah. Honestly, right now it's just hard to find enough people in general. Not even necessarily just with the right skills.
0: Just like warm blooded, alive people that are gonna like show up yeah, to the confident, yeah, warm blooded yeah, people yeah. who
1: can come in and do a job. And we still continue to grow with the economy. So I feel like we're trying to just keep doing more with less, which then leads to automation. Yeah. And it's not just automation in your factory, it's automation in how you process paperwork or yeah, orders. Even or even like,
0: exactly, like internal operations need automation in a yeah, lot of but ways. but then the
1: other problem is that you don't have enough people to actually implement those process improvements because you're just trying to keep up with your daily work. So yeah. there's certainly a fear of sometimes burnout with employees because they're working so hard just to keep up with the regular business. And then it ties back right back into kind of what we were talking about earlier, too. It's nuts.
0: I mean, there's no like easy answer to it. But
2: like, what are you seeing there? Well, I think, you know, with skills gap, we've really just taken a step back and looked at the business problem, the skills gap and what like pain that's going to cause Like a manufacturer, right? And when you start looking at the teachability of your processes, the reliability of your processes, when you start going all down all those roads and people working Saturdays and staying late at night. So really, I think it's been making sure that we are meeting and exceeding our customers' needs when it comes to the product offerings we have that are addressing those pain points, right? Skills gap is huge. It's like just this big umbrella topic. So we've been really focusing in on those individual pain points and trying to check those boxes, make life a little bit easier. Easier, right?
0: Not assuming that there's like an expert on the other end of the deal, making it simplifying as much as possible because you're probably catering to a less skilled workforce. Exactly. Yeah. Caleb, like we've moved in a new direction as a business and it's more focused on automation. A lot of that is driven by the skills gap. Like, what are your thoughts on that when you're out and some of the things that you're hearing from customers when we're talking about automation?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because the thing that I see a lot is everyone has the same problem, right? And it's the ones that are more successful are kind of adapting in different ways. So they're actually, instead of just saying, I can't find the right person for this or the right machinist, they're actually maybe changing their internal processes or culture, or even what they manufacture or how they manufacture to adapt to the modern employee, whatever area that is, that could be the machinist or someone in the office or a programmer or whoever that might be. And that's like very big and broad and kind of scary. But the few companies I've seen that have less of a struggle with that seem to be doing that
0: they adjust right so it's easy to be like yeah that's a huge skills gap and everyone's got the same problem and like when you hear someone talking about how they can't find someone for a machine the first thing that you do is like yeah it is what it is like you empathize but what we all need to do is like well what are we going to do about it and so i have a podcast coming up tomorrow that i'm going to record with somebody who totally changed how he recruits and like what he's looking for And he's recruiting more toward I don't want to like ruin the podcast, but he's recruiting more toward a digitally competent person who can learn computer first and then apply it to like making real parts. And then what he ends up with is like a programmer who can machine and like, okay, now you've got a bunch of those like hybrid employees like you can really scale your business that way. It's different, though, than like how a lot of us were trained or like how probably the generation before us was trained even more so where it was. Like you learn on the manuals and you file parts down and you get your 8,000 hours and you get your apprenticeship. And then like later you learn the more digital side. So it's kind of like flip-flop. Titan talks about that a lot too. I agree with that approach. But I think there's value on both sides too. But you can't just keep doing what you're doing and think it's going to get better. You have to adjust.
1: Well, the other thing too, I think about this as I look at the Trinity cell right outside, the products that we offer as OEMs or manufacturers of product... You got to make it easy. I think because we're all going through the same thing, like you said, and we don't have the time. If you have to say it's going to take you one month or even a week to get an automation system set up on your existing machinery, that's one week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is yeah. that you're now losing in your production of your current system. No one's going to take the time out of their current production to do that. So you got to be able to wheel that system right up to the machine or put it right next to the machine and within a week be doing
3: yes, automatically
1: yeah. machining.
0: And Imagine not have played. this tremendous learning curve, too, where it's like, OK, now I've got this automation system and one person here knows how to run it. Right.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And the culture, something I think about, too, I was speaking with one of our own machinists in our shop a few weeks ago and he's a veteran machinist, maybe 10 years from retirement or so. And just kind of the narrative sometimes is that, okay, we need to get these new younger kids in to be able to really do this advanced programming and work on these automation systems, and which I think is important. But I think we need to remember that maybe these veteran machinists, they've been doing this a long time and probably when they started, it was like, you're lucky to have a job. Yeah. So that's still like often the mindset that they're in and maybe their company's even in. So encouraging them like, hey, this is actually something that you can do. Like you can go beyond this. And it actually is surprising how often I've seen people get actually really excited about it. It's doing something different. That's an awesome point. They're just not used to ever having that opportunity. They've been used to pushing a button for a long time and maybe some setups, but that's the extent of it. So like really actually not assuming that they just Don't because want to be he's a, a veteran
0: or he's got 10 years left in his career that doesn't want to learn a new skill. Right. Like sometimes we focus on going too far to like, let's just bring someone in brand new fresh. And that's a really good point, I think. So, all right, we'll move on to the third feature of the mindset that I want to talk about. And it's unity. We have to like unify our teams toward a shared goal. And we have different MOs and different perspectives and come from different backgrounds and things like that. So I think unity can like go too far. Maybe it's not even unity at all, but this groupthink idea where everyone just agrees and there's no conflict. My dad used to lead meetings and be like, I thought the meeting sucked because everyone just agreed with each other the whole time. Like There's never any healthy conflict. That's not a good meeting. So how do you encourage healthy conflict? How do you battle groupthink without sacrificing the unity you're trying to develop to make sure everyone's rowing in the same direction?
2: Any ideas from you guys? Well, I mean... My sales meetings have often been referred to as the Thunderdome. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> no. Hey, we're in the ring here. <laughs> no. I disagree. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you you
2: No, <laughs> Personal insults no, are encouraged. No. Yeah, right. If everyone could act like eight-year-olds. No, I think that early on, I formed Vision Committee because Fifth Axis, right now, we use a lot of IMRs. So it was like, how do you get 10 different agencies on board with the mothership? IMR. Right? We're going to talk about that, but Independent Manufacturers representative? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Oh, sir, hell uh, yeah. Sweet. Hey. You can keep going, man. All right. <laughs> Thank Just you. Call you, me, sir. sir. <laughs> So how do you get 10 different agencies on, right? 10 yeah. different companies on board with what we're trying to do at Fifth Access. So very early on, i forming a vision committee, right? And just getting input from everybody. What's the old saying, right? If you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room, Yeah, 100%. right? And so get everybody together, get everybody's feedback. And I mean, that one as far as building our sales playbook, that one as far as writing a mission statement. So, I mean, yeah, there's ton of disagreement. So is that
0: a mission statement for Fifth Access workholding or for your sales for our org? sales org, yeah. yeah. So your sales org has a mission. So that's
2: cool too. Right. And so I think it just came down to really understanding that everybody's pretty much got good ideas. There's going to be disagreement. I think as long as it comes from a place of any disagreement is respectful and professional, then it's always going to be healthy.
0: It's funny because you literally like segued into what I was going to ask you, but I was going to talk about your challenge is different than our challenge in that we have some independent reps, but like that's how you go to market is through these independent rep agencies and they're all working for their own company and. And of course, you have expectations for them and they have expectations for you, but... I think you just answered the question already. You bring everybody together. You make sure there's a shared vision. You make sure that you're using kind of like standard sales playbooks and you've shown me some of the tactics that you use and I think they're really helpful and valuable. So I love it. Please
2: don't show them to Mike.
0: (laughs) (laughs) i already taking notes.
1: (laughs) Shared vision.
2: But like Mike, your role now your latest role is a little bit
0: different than before because you're the VP of tooling and workholding. So it's not just sales, right? Yeah. So you're Trying to unify, like, kind of the inside outside team, then too, and let's talk about that. Like, how was that challenge for you? Honestly, it's one of my favorite challenges.
1: I think it's actually what in, kind of inspires me and gets me up out of bed every day. We mentioned Ted Lasso, but honestly, if you want to find out how to bring unity to a team oh, like yeah. Ted Lasso, just Seriously. watch it. There's just playbook Great. there. It
0: is an awesome. That's show. why I
1: love that show. And so when I think about a team, I thought about this a lot, and I'm still kind of developing my own framework around the idea. But I think back to when I played soccer. And how our team behaved together when I played soccer is that I knew that Robbie out on right mid, he's like, he's just going to fall over if you touch him. And we would give him a lot of crap for that. Like, come on, dude, stand up. Yeah. Or this guy's going to miss every shot he
0: takes. Sorry if you're listening, Robbie. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, Robbie. <laughs> but the thing is,
1: is we all had an underlying respect for one another. Yeah. So you can actually give that person a hard time in front of the team and there's still a camaraderie there. Yeah. And I think that translates to the business setting not exactly the same but I always think about I know that my team is good when we can be able to criticize each other in an open forum. Yeah. And everyone's comfortable
0: with and it. And it's not there's no like ill will or evil or, exactly, it's not a personal judgmental
1: yeah. but the thing is is that takes it's tough to get there. I think you're always building towards it. But I think you have to take incremental steps. It's like a safe space. And you create this by you show vulnerability yourself. Yeah. You then show others in a group setting that when this person's vulnerable, that they're still okay. And I still respect them and they still do really good. So there's little techniques that I've kind of found work that over time, it's just like you make... you criticize just really small, insignificant things about someone as kind of almost like a joke, but that are so inconsequential that no one really cares. But it starts getting the whole
0: group kind of comfortable with this idea. Yeah, like we can hold each other accountable. Yeah, know? that it's okay to kind of yeah. I think that's candidly. healthy to it. It's funny you brought up soccer because we had that exact same dynamic. My team, it was a brotherhood. But yeah, if somebody was dogging it and not getting back on defense, like we were going to let them know. Yeah, and one thing I tell my team... Usually that was them letting me know because I played (laughs) up top. (laughs) That was me letting you know. And then I I overcorrected. They're like, you know, you have to play forward still. (laughs) (laughs) You can't just play defense. Someone's got to score. Six sales. Just keep them on offense. You don't need to come back and do defense. (laughs) (laughs) But no, yeah, point taken.
1: Yeah, there is one thing I do always tell my team is that... I fundamentally believe that every person on this team has a place and they are good at what they do. I'll say those words explicitly to the team.
0: Yeah. Otherwise you wouldn't be on the team, right? Like if you're not providing value, we're going to find someone who does. So if you're here, that means you're valuable and important. Exactly. That has
1: to be understood and underlined.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. So then like Caleb, I'll point to you. So we're in a kind of a Different position where we're trying to create Unity as an integrator. So we're working with the Shanks. We're working with the fifth axis. We're working with Trinity. We have our own products too, but it's like you're trying to balance like what the end customer needs, making sure you're providing support to your partners, making sure like if you're working through a dealer or a distributor, like they're taken care of. So what are some tools and tactics that you're relying on to make sure that like everything stays organized when you're in the integrator seat? Maybe you could talk about like some of the things that we use to keep everybody aligned.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of it between all those dynamics go back to kind of the processes in place. And I mean, it all ties into unity that we're all on the same page with what that looks like mm-hmm. and our communication with our partners, how our relationship is between myself and our partners and our regional director and our partners, because we all have A hand in that in some form. And honestly, that's something that we're working through every week still is figuring that out and kind of where those handoffs are, who communicates about what. But I think in the end, it's kind of the more people we have in those conversations, whether it's the partner or a dealer, an end user, Everyone feeds different things out of it and is able to give different things. So that synergy is just making sure you're not like
0: siloing the conversation and having this person understand one aspect and then telephone gaming it to the next person and keeping everybody in the loop throughout the entire project. So
3: this is kind of a side note, but also relates is like something I talk about a lot is at least for me and I know for other people, it's similar is when someone keeps me in the loop on something or communicates something to me that they really don't have to communicate to me. Like, there's no reason they have to communicate that to me or have a conversation with me, that means the most and gets me the most excited and where I come up with ideas that could actually make an impact, even though that wasn't the initial intention. Yeah. So like, just being like, hey, this is the direction we're taking this as a company or this is the direction I want to go from a sales perspective or in engineering or whatever it is.
0: Or maybe it's a dealer saying like, hey, I'm really working on selling them this type of machine and it's like disconnected from our project that we're working with them on, but it's still valuable to know.
3: Well, and that's why just being heavily tied in helps so much because we've even just here at East Tech. I mean, we have our hands in a lot of areas and just the amount of times we asked a few extra questions and we're able to have further conversations that didn't relate to what it started with. Sure.
0: One other tool that I think is valuable. I don't know if you guys have anything like this at Shanker Fifth Axis, but we use something called a Reiki chart. So it's R-A-C-I. Yeah. Who's responsible for this task? You map out like the process, right? and then accountable and then the roles involved in the process and so like r is responsible a is accountable c is like you're consulted and i means you're just informed like you're just in copy you're probably not supposed to respond back and so like everything that we do in the sales process we map that out okay it's actually your job you're the r you're responsible for moving this to the next stage but nick you're accountable for making sure that it happens so, if it didn't happen, go do it yourself and then tell whoever the R was, like, hey, make sure that you take care of that next time. And Caleb talked about, like, how he values being the C, being consulted, even on something where it's like not his, the ball's not in his court for that process. So, I thought that was real valuable.
1: That just made me think of just a quick point when you mentioned that. I realized that's actually a big thing trying to bring the inside and outside sales team together when they know who's responsible for what. Because if the application engineer knows that the outside salesperson should be responsible for presenting the quote and closing the order, let's say, when each other knows what each other's responsible for. It also makes them work a lot better together. And they also respect the purpose of that person's role a lot more too. Yeah. It allows them to know, Oh, that's why this person is here. Cause they do these things. Yeah, exactly. So when other people know each other's ours, that really helps when they know who, Oh, okay. That's their
0: role. Yeah. Like this. we pin this up on everyone's cubicle. It's like, boom. Oh, that's and cool. then now you have like a standard. And if someone's falling outside the standard, it's less personal. It's like, no, we define this. This is how it's going to work around here. And then like, Caleb sometimes might say, hey, we should adjust this. This doesn't make sense. We just adjust the standard. Hey, Jason, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word setups? You're not making chips (laughs) and you're not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer.
4: Absolutely. So enter the Lean Setup Guide from ProShop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a ProShop user or not, But ProShop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process.
0: Yeah. So it's a totally free download. You can go to ProShopERP.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the lean setup guide. Bam. Sweet, guys. I thought it was a great conversation. You guys are like some of my favorite people in the industry. We kind of do this life together and I really appreciate it. Since we're at East Tech, I would say like plug our booths. And then I thought about how this won't release until East Tech is over so <laughs> yeah. uh, why don't you talk about like what's in the future any events you guys are going to be at how can they find you guys
2: yeah I mean so we're doing the full gambit this year right so we'll be at South Tech West Tech I believe we're going over to Emo so cool. follow us I think the best place for Fifth Access is our social media channels Instagram LinkedIn fifthaccess.com come check us out we got a lot of cool new exciting products coming to market just like everyone else at the table here so mm-hmm. come learn about them cool. grab yeah. some run CNC gear
0: Heck yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Michael. Same here. We're
1: doing the full gamut of trade shows. We see a lot of value in trade shows. It's an opportunity where the end users can come and check out a lot of different manufacturers and products all at once in one spot. So we'll be at automate next week. I guess probably this also might. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> This one might be out. Yeah, but it's yeah, not. Say we're at automate. Auto, <laughs> look us up online, get in touch with us. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'd and, appreciate and it. Same goes for us, right, Caleb? We'll be at all the shows. So it's the first time we've done like every one of these regional shows and we're pretty high on trade shows. We think they're important. And day one at East Tech has been great. So are
2: you guys taking that Trinity system around? Yeah, uh, we're gonna just try to on wheel tour. it around.
0: We think like Caleb's been working out a lot, part of his routine. Of so routine. he should be
2: able to wheel that around. No, it's a great looking system. So I'm looking forward to seeing it at West Tech and South Tech and all the. Heck yeah! Great. So,
1: do
0: you guys
2: know how we close the show? There's a little tagline we have.
1: If you're not making chips, you're not making
2: money. Bam.